re-nature, day life in Japan and between two castles and Mad King Ludwig, this is staying in. So um, Sam, um, I got I got a message from Lisa. Oh, who's that? Oh. <laughs> um, so your partner saying, my way, asking you <laughs> to ask you about your new favourite song. Called apples and bananas. I love a bit of apples and bananas. <laughs> oh! And then she sent me. She sent me eight, an eighteen-minute clip, which she recorded secretly of eighteen you. Eighteen minutes. Eighteen seconds. Sorry. All right. Okay. Cool. Sorry, yeah. I massively overstated that, didn't I? Yes. Um, eighteen-second clip of you trying and failing to sing um, a song to your son. How can you fail to sing that song, Sam? Well, if you wrote the lyrics down, Dan, it would sound like you know when they were programming the Winter Soldier. Just these random words that Sam just com- comes out. Yeah, of. it is. It is gibberish. Like I first heard this song this morning, and I was like, "What lesson is that teaching my son?" Like he's a sponge, and you know, first of all, I've got a little bit of a gripe with the amount of American stuff he's he's listening to. Um, so Lisa said, um, "I'll I'll don't worry. There's an English version of this song, and then put on the Wiggles." So. We're halfway there. They're Australian, by the way. Um, okay, right. Did, I see. Did get that. That's a dad joke uh, for everyone. Uh, parents, well done. All the parents um, are like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. All oh, the parents are like, Sam. We know the Wiggles. Oh, sorry, sorry, Sam. Do 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 it again. Do it again. Do do the joke again. Yeah, I was a bit concerned with all the American yep. songs that my son was listening to. Right. So Lisa said. <laughs> Go on. No, go on, Sam. What did she the, say? She put on the English yep. version. Yeah. And then, so she put on the Wiggles. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, still, still nothing. <laughs> uh, right. Oh. So, so, so what is this? What is, what, what, what's the thesis of the song? So, so Lisa did explain to me once I sort of questioned the gibberish. How old is your son? Um, five months. Okay. The gibberish. And, um, she explained that it's all about vowel sounds. Vowel sounds. So the song is, I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Okay. And then in a shock twist, they throw all language out the window like it's a toy to be tossed about and misused. And suddenly it's like, I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Susie Dent's job is threatened at all by you? <laughs> well, with the amount of gibberish that kids are learning these days, no way. Um, I remember hanging out with a friend of mine, um, his partner and his child, and they had a mix, a CD, and the so- basically it was like a fruit and vegetable medley where every song was a different fruit or vegetable, and there was one song that was played on repeat, and it's still a massive earworm for me. All it goes is along the lines of, Oranges are orange, oranges are fruity, oranges are orange, oranges are fruity, orange. And it just repeat and on loop. It was one of the longest internal car journeys ever. I don't know what the point of it was. No, that's not that's not teaching the, the child anything. It's not no. teaching the child about water distribution throughout an orange, different types of oranges, no. what a zest is, what peel is, what seeds are. What segments are... He's five months old. Every chance to learning chance, Dan. He's only just started to recognise the colour orange. So, so Sam, here we go. You've got, you've got, you've got the floor now. What would you... Com- no, I'm not asking you to compose a song, but what would you do a song about? What is, it, what is a useful song? What is some, a useful piece of information for a child to learn through song? Well, I don't know. We did, we did um, uh, the Grand Old Duke of York the other day, and I saw that as a brilliant opportunity to teach my son about feudalism, uh, monarchy. <laughs> um, and he, he absorbed the lesson exceedingly well. I explained to him about the foolishness of war. You know, what, uh, the grand old king, king of York, Duke of York, whatever he was. Yep, he had ten thousand men, famously. <laughs> march them. Uh, so, oh, where did he march them again? I can't remember. <laughs> so I, I taught him about the grand old duke and about his, you know, how sometimes the people that are leading the wars are the people that right. you know sometimes make the worst decisions. How did he respond to this, Sam? Um, very, very happily. Very, very. He, he, you know, in the same way that he responded when um, I what was, what did I what did I read him? I was reading um, 
that was it. I was reading David Simon's book about homicide to him one night. Um, he really enjoyed. He really enjoyed that. God, it's like being Siegfried Sassoon's <laughs> kid. I, I love the fact, Sam, that you are worried that giving him nonsense, he's going to take that in. But you have no issue reading him a book about homicide because he won't take that in. Yeah, but it's very important to teach kids about uh, police work in Baltimore, Maryland. No, 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 no. It's not. <laughs> Do you know what? I like this. <laughs> There was a there was a a, a, a a linguist who taught their child um, Klingon, cool. and um, they and the kid picked Klingon up like really 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 quickly. Couldn't put it down. Sorry. Yeah, they couldn't. Put, yeah, they were clinging onto it. So that was another. Da- it's down Sam's dad jokes, which is rubbing yeah. off on me. But it's come from you, yeah. And they, they taught them Klingon and it worked for a really long time. And then they realized that they weren't, that they would say things to them in Klingon and then they would respond in English. Um, and they just wouldn't continue speaking Klingon back because they were like, oh, I don't need to know Klingon because it turns out it's just my weird dad who teaches me Klingon <laughs> and nobody else speaks it around me. So the only thing I really need is English. And so yeah. they just kept with English. So they just forgot the Klingon. Kids are very good at finding the basically like all of Hugo's life so far is how can I find the shortest route possible to get the thing I want? Yeah. Which is basically, you know, all our lives. And and, and my job is, and the way I see it is to teach him all the right and proper things to, <laughs> to, to, I mean. to ensure mm. that um, when he wants something, he knows what to say and what to do mm. when he wants it. So when he when he when he looks to the bookshelf and goes, "Yeah, I want to read David Simon and Ed Burns' uh, The Corner," uh, 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 a written history of the uh, drug culture in Baltimore, Maryland, he knows exactly what to ask and, and and where to find it. I would never say it's bad parenting, Sam. It does break me out in a cold sweat, though. I've taken a step uh, out of your a step, a page out of your book, out of my book of parenting, out of your parent uh, book of uh, book of how to enjoy oneself, Chris. Oh, um, sorry, because uh, you finished you finished your moon now, right? I have finished. I've finished my moon. Yes, and I've I've, I've managed to get my dining table back, which is lovely. Was uh, it a moon, Chris? It was. It was. Um, it it genuinely. There's no shock twist at the end. You didn't, you didn't put the last piece and go, oh. It's a Dalmatian. <laughs> yeah. I had a thing where I lost the last piece and that was fun. <laughs> Did you? Because I found it though, obviously. But oh, it, thank it, God. That, it became quite an obsession for me. I lost a weekend to it. Like genuinely, I, I couldn't, every time I'd walk into the kitchen, it was there's just something about it. I don't quite know what it is. But it, it looked, and I kept it on the table because as Sam said last time, thing about a jigsaw is once you've done it you kind of think well okay cool oh yeah there's the moon back you go in the box so I, I i kind of felt i owed it to myself to keep it on the table for like at least a week or so yeah it's a big coaster yeah exactly yeah. and it was yeah it was really nice um it's back in the box anyone wants it just let me know absolutely not uh because okay. uh i don't have the space for any of that stuff but the thing i really wanted was i kind of I was like, I'd like to do a jigsaw puzzle, but I don't want to take up any household space with it. Go on. Um, and because um, I was just like, I just don't, I, I can't. And also I wanted to do it by myself. I didn't want to like get in the way of like uh, Alex because I definitely would. I'd take over the whole table with it. And so um, I got a game, a video game, a jigsaw video game. What? I was like, why not? Because here's the thing. I've always been really interested. You know when you go on the Nintendo Switch and you go onto the eShop and you see games that are like less than a quid and you're like, how good could they be? I've always thought to myself, maybe I'll I'll just buy a load of them. Maybe I'll just buy a load of really cheap games and see what they're like. I mean, they look (laughs) awful. Uh, To have disposable income. Right. Oh, well, this is this is the thing. And I had some gold coins that were expiring because you get little mm-hmm. gold coins if you buy Nintendo games, and they yep. give you it's essentially worth money off, right? And I had some gold coins that were expiring, and it was just it was like around about a quid, something like that. So I thought, oh, I'll go on to the I'll go on to the eShop. And I picked up a game called Daylife in Japan. 
by uh, a company called Qbyte, Q-U-Byte, B-Y-T-E, Interactive. So these are like pixel animated sort of pixel tableaus of yeah. Japanese life that's right that's yeah. exactly it like it's a little um yeah it's like three or four frames of animation maybe 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 a few more um of um a little corner shop and a little um like restaurant and uh you know um sort of slightly neon scenes and, and stuff like that uh you get i think it's five i think there's like five puzzles in there so there's really not that many um and you have it's a jigsaw it's a digital jigsaw how many how many pieces are we talking Here's the thing, Chris. So I started on easy mode or normal ah. mode or whatever it was called. And I started on that. I was like, oh, okay, fine. This is this is straightforward. So it was like 20 pieces, 30 pieces. I thought, I'll be blowing through this content easy. Um, and I did because, you know, not to brag, but I know how to do a jigsaw puzzle. Um, and then you crank it up to can expert. I, can, I, can I just kind of dial oh. down your confidence there? The other day, my three-year-old did a 30-piece jigsaw puzzle. I'm not saying it was as difficult as yours, but let's not get. Let, I don't want you to get too too far ahead of yourself here. Well, hang on, Dan. Hang on, Dan. Let's compare times. It did take. <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> I was gonna say it didn't take him all that long. All right. Yeah. Let's not compare times. Yeah. Um. So, so I dialed it up to the the hardest difficulty level, and there must have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And suddenly, these things that were these puzzles were, that were like twenty or thirty were now like just massive like absolutely oh like giant so the image doesn't change uh, but the amount of pieces mm. there are does okay um and um like i i kind of came away from the whole thing like perfectly satisfied with my purchase like it, it didn't feel like a video game in that, like, I didn't like engage with it in the same way that I would engage with something like, uh, like Ghost of Tsushima or Control or, or, or like even like um, a more arcade game, right? Like, I didn't have this like visceral emotional response to it. I didn't think this is a really great game. I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to really think about what this game is. It almost felt like a service, like Spotify. Like, I kind of <laughs> came away from it like. Yeah, this delivered exactly what I thought it would deliver. It, it's, it, it screams to me as something that you would do on a loading screen to a better game. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. But, like, they've made a whole game out of it, and there are loads of these around. You know, I, I think this is part of a series that this, that this mm. company does. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a million of these kinds of games on mobile and stuff like that. Um, and this game def definitely feels a little bit mobile-y. Like, it, right. it feels like maybe it could work really well on touchscreen. Maybe it was launched somewhere else. I don't know. Um, but there was also something just very relaxed about it like like doing a jigsaw right so we, we talk a lot about like audiobook games right and mm -hmm. and podcast games and this is the perfect one of those there's no yeah. there's no story there's no the audio's fine but it's not it's not anything to write home about and it repeats after like 60 seconds or something it's quite you know um it's it's well made but it's quite short so you just turn mm -hmm. all that off put on an audiobook and start listening and and uh playing this jigsaw game and there was something really like enjoyable about it just kind of sitting there putting all these pieces together and then you're done but 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 yeah but no no i completely agree but, no, no, yeah, no. but it just it yeah just, no it just, i know like, i know like i but uh, to me all the fun of a jigsaw just like none of the none of the actual bits about a jigsaw which make it but what do you think is the fun bit of a jigsaw puzzle the tactility of holding the piece i don't care about that like at all. Don't, I mean, like, don't I, get I just... me wrong. I'd agree with Sam. The tactility of the pieces is an aspect. I think the biggest aspect is the accomplishment of completing the task. Though. Yeah, That's... yeah, exactly. And you the, don't the need the tactility bit. of physical pieces to achieve that. Yeah. It's, it's to its detriment that it's not physical. But the main thing for me would also be that completion aspect. But you, you're touching all the pieces. You organise them. You go yeah. right here with the, like yeah, the blue bits. Put but them all there. Absolutely. Here are all the corner bits. You put them all there. I completely right? agree. I'm starting to formulate the puzzle in my mind. Yeah, this is fun. This is good. This is working out. Yeah. But you're just dragging things across the screen. Yeah, this absolutely. Is not fun at all. It absolutely is though, because the the upside mm. of having all that tactility is exactly what you talked about. The downside of it is Chris can't use his kitchen table, right? <laughs> and like the thing is that 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 for me. It's, I just turn it off. 
and and it saves the progress. It saves all the progress of where you're at with the jigsaw puzzle. So all of your pieces that you move all around the board, because you're like, oh, these are all the right-hand side pieces. These are all the left-hand side pieces. You move them all the way to the round, round to the sides, and they stay where they are. So you turn the console off, and you come back back a little bit later, and you start playing it again. It's like having one of those like fold-down things that some jigsaw pros have, mm-hmm. where you can save your progress with a jigsaw. I mean, I mean, like, right. I mean, I don't want this to be. I don't want this podcast to become, you know jigsaw fest like <laughs> why not well let's, i mean let's just yeah. move on into this let's just embrace let's lean this into it yeah so taken. but like for me it was the case of you know when i was making a cup of tea i was you know I was yeah. working from home and i'd walk into the kitchen oh just while the kettle's boiling i'll just yeah there's something quite nice about knowing that it's mm. there and yeah. i can kind of just dip into just it pick up a out. piece see yeah. Yeah. how it may fit but in. this thing fires up real fast like obviously because there's nothing to it like Honestly, and for me, this was like a really lovely, chilled out, meditative experience where I just sort of sat there and listened to an audiobook and, and was putting this jigsaw together. I really enjoyed it, in, as I say, in exactly the same way that I would use a service. It provided me exactly what I wanted. Like, no more, no less. And the, 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 the visuals are like, whatever. Like, the, the, the art pixel art itself is actually pretty good. The, everything around it is like, fine, it's serviceable. Um, but the... But... It just reminded me that, well, first of all, there are some good games out there that are less than a quid on on Switch. You can yeah. get some oh, very yeah, good so games that are, yeah. are cheap. Mm-hmm. And, but also, you can get things on these consoles now which are... They're a kind of different game experience. They're not... They're not an arcade game. They're not fast action. They're not... They're not traditional video game experiences. This is the kind of thing that you would sit down, have a cup of tea, and just play with it for a little bit of time. A very casual kind of experience. This, the exact same thing that happened to like the iPad and the iPhone and, and the Android device market that came along that catered to a totally different market and absolutely exploded. Now, I don't know whether or not this is going to appeal to people on that have actually gone out and bought a Switch. Like, maybe it won't. But like, But there is definitely... For people who like want to scratch that itch a little bit, there are these series of games now that are out there that are kind of traditional games. Um, is now, given the fact that you and Pete are very much entrenched within the Switch shop, like I'm actually going to go against what I was saying before about Pete and his weird jigsaw thing as a game. What I would really like is that feeling of model making, which at the moment I can't justify or do because I don't really want to keep the models once I've made them. I like that process of making, whereas with a jigsaw, I can take it apart, put it back in a box and give it away. I can't really do that with something like an Airfix model. So I was just wondering, is is there a game like that where you can get that sense of building a model? You could do something like um, what's that? What's that Minecrafty one? But it isn't Minecraft. Dragon Dragon Builders, Dungeon Builders, Dragon Quest Builders, Dragon Quest Builders. Right. So that's kind of model making because unlike Minecraft, where it's just like here you go, do whatever you want. It's like here are the plans of how to make a building, and this is oh, how you're okay. going to make it. I see. And it will show you the plans, show you what bricks to put where, what things to put where, and then then you'll make it and it's all wrapped up with this like yep. RPG sort okay. of adventure thing. So you sort of, you don't have the same creativity or freedom that you do in say in Minecraft, but that's not why you go into model making. No, you no, go no, into model making to replicate a certain thing by following a certain level of instruction. So uh, Dragon Quest Builders and apparently the story, especially in the second one, is meant to actually be quite yeah. The first one, first one's intriguing. Good. First one's good. The first one's the good one. as well and could be quite cheap now. Yeah. Um, um, so that that could, that could be a good recommendation. You could go with that. Um, there is um, you've got a, an Android device, haven't you? I have indeed. Yes, Android tablet. Uh, you could get a game called Simple Planes, uh, which is all about literally building a, 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 an aircraft and seeing whether or not you can make it fly. Um, and that's literally like dragging and dropping objects. And stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was like paper airplanes. <laughs> like- there's uh, there's obviously PC games and stuff like that that do cater to what you're talking about. But the one that I think is closest um, uh, f- that you probably can get access to at the moment is a game is a game, not a banking app, called Monzo. Um, it's called Monzo mm. Digital Model Builder, oh, and it yes. is literally Airfix. That sounds great. Uh, it's it's very good, and the the when you, it's free to install, and then you essentially purchase kits, um, 
the when you install it, you'll see whether or not you want to do this. Okay. The the experience of it is um, it's good and it's definitely got its fans. Like it's very well made, um, but uh, like a model kit, it can be quite expensive. There's no, you know, there's none of that sort of. I mean, there's lots to it, yeah. um, but there's no like, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours of of trying to get this thing done. It is just you you follow the steps and then you sit. But you should play it. It's good fun. That sounds perfect. Like, right. and I'd love something like Virtual Lego. That thing exists because I know obviously there's Lego games, but you're not actually like, as Sam was saying, you're not following instructions and building stuff. But yeah, I want that sense of. I enjoy the process, but I just don't want to have to live with, you know, a Lego Batmobile on my shelf. The tactility of, of like playing games in like a jigsaw is is a really interesting thing. I think it's like I was um I I guest starred on a podcast recently. Oh yeah. Who were these who were these fine folk? Um so this is the Two Can Play That Game podcast. Okay. And that's Two Can, not Two Can just so you don't get confused. What, like the bird? Yes, like the Guinness mascot. <laughs> I thought it was Toucan, not Toucan. Toucan. Okay. Well. Oh, God. We'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, that's the show I'm on isn't out till April, but okay. they they basically just review games that you play with one other person. Two play games, if you will. Okay. Um, and uh, I was on that specifically to talk about my thoughts on the two play game called Mandala, mm-hmm. which is a superb, superb two play game. Um, one of uh, my wife and I's favorite uh, new games that we have, that I've bought, let's be honest. Um, mm. And that has a cloth, that has a cloth, Oh, it's the future. It's a bit like when Chris talked about Illamat. Uh, this as well has this like lovely cloth board. And Chris was talking to me about something called haptic feedback. Um, and in the same way that you have like haptic triggers on your PS5, Dan, this the haptic feedback of the cloth board works in the same sort of way. The feeling like when you're putting down cards, you're getting something back from the board. When you're picking up cards and moving in the round, the board is giving you something back rather than being a a dull piece of cardboard. And especially with Hugo being as he is now, the fact that we have to give him a we've we've made him a special card that he has to hold whenever we're playing board games together. Like how important that that tactility is to like how I enjoy games. Mm. I know personally, I get a, a lot more. I get exceptionally picky about what it is I buy. Like the the actual tactility and like the the quality of the components yeah. it has become increasingly important. And it's such a straight because it always it always feels like when reviews do it, just like oh, lovely thick cardboard on that punch, and like oh, the quality of this wood's brilliant. You're just like yeah, right, whatever. Tell me about the game. Yeah, but like it's. And that's and that's why when we were talking about jigsaws, like that's why that tactility is so important to me because that's a massive part of of enjoying the game. Like when I'm thinking, can I hold the pieces in my hand? Can I move them around and they're not going to split and they're going to break? Can I push them down into a jigsaw and they're not going to split? And I think one of the one of the most tactile and best games that has ever demonstrated, you know, why why that feeling of handling things is so important is dominoes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just something about like being like holding like these wood tiles and like tapping them down. Like it's a reason why um, we love Quirkle so much is that like that feeling of like slamming down a wooden piece is, is really satisfying. So it was one of the reasons why I was really interested in playing a game called Renature which um, is a game by Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. Um, names you would recognize if you have played Azul. Ooh. And Wolfgang Kramer has a face you would recognize if you've played Six Nymphed. Um, <laughs> exactly. Chris demonstrates the hands underneath the chin, peering over the box. I think it's just in the, I think it's just in the collector's edition, I think. Or the it anniversary is, yeah, edition. Unfortunately, yeah. it's not in my version. Um Six Nymphs is one of one of my favourite games. Game. It's it's incredible. The game described by Pete as it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, 
High praise indeed. Yeah. Really got that seal of approval there. Yeah, I know. These are two designers who, according to BGG, have never worked together in person, and they just communicate over phone and fax. Hmm. And they've had quite a rich like design experience working together, and that's I find that fascinating. Like, like design. I could never imagine designing something with anyone just over Zoom, but yeah. Here we are. Yay. <laughs> um, and yeah, so they've designed this game called Renature and it comes in this huge box with this massive tree on it. And there's this like couple holding hands into the sunset and all these like little furry, nice little like Disney-esque creatures surrounding them. And the game has probably one of the nicest concepts of a game that I've played in that all you're doing is essentially introducing nature back into this um, uh, a sort of like abandoned um, sort of field. Competitively, of course, because, <laughs> you know, uh, even though we're doing something nice like reintroducing nature, you still got to, you know, yeah. beat the person you're playing against. And the reason why I was so interested in it, it comes with this massive bag of, like domino tiles mm. but instead of pips on either side um you've got these creatures like um butterflies and toads and birds and foxes i think and in a very very simple way all you're doing is you're putting down tiles um these like dominoes and you're matching up animals with animals um in order to create almost like these little habitats okay. of animals. Um, when you um, when you put them down, you then have the option to add in uh, one of these lovely wooden sculpts. Again, this game is so tactile, like everything about it just what just encourages you to pick up and like feel these pieces. You can either put down these like massive oak trees, these pine trees in amongst these animals or these like little tufts of grass and once these little areas of trees and grass are completely surrounded by dominoes, then they score, and that's how you get that's how you get the points. And it's it's one of those games that has struck just the right um, tone in terms of being a wonderfully relaxing experience, but just with enough sort of what do I say w w with enough sort of like salt i want to say i don't know why i think it's because it's pancake day next week i want to say i want to say salt in the pancake you know just enough bitterness um just enough like competitiveness cutthroat nature uh, in it right which kind of lifts it from just being like quite a nice sort of gentle experience you know um i guess i guess the best way to explain it, you know in carcassonne right mm -hmm. Where you're doing quite sort of similar things, you're like laying tiles down, and you and you're sort of building your own little areas out, and inevitably someone will always come along and put something somewhere, and you'll be like, "You absolute Monkey. carcass yeah. son!" Yeah, yeah. And like Renature works in the same way, but how it does this is, if you ever have the same value of trees or bushes in a space then those essentially to the game don't exist and then someone else will score will score that area so it's very easy for players to come along and you know add things into the mix that suddenly like ruin your plans and it's a very it does it in such a very gentle way it never really tips the balance in the favor of making it a really competitive or harsh experience mm -hmm. it still feels super nice to play and i think what i loved about it most is that when you're playing the game you really do feel like you're building this new sort of biodiverse mm. like landscape like you look away from the board and just the nature of that domino mechanic of laying tiles you'll have small areas that are just butterflies mm. your small areas that are just toads and in the middle of these areas there'll be pine trees there'll be oak trees sticking out there'll be little bushes little like tufts of grass and it's really when you're playing renature it's super tempting to spend all your time like crouched at the edge of the table just so you can get this like 
look across the top of this board at this like forest and woodland area that you slowly created with like with the other players around the table. The artwork, looking at the artwork, um, mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of like children's reference material, like encyclopedias yeah. and like yeah. um, like mm-hmm. like visual education elements. You and know what I, mean? I think that's a really interesting observation because when I first saw the artwork, I thought, oh, this looks a lot like something that was in like our on our board game shelves as kids, you know, kids games. <laughs> but no, but actually, <laughs> when I started playing, I realized actually picking up on what Sam was saying, how useful it is to have that because it is quite it can get a little bit cutthroat because it is kind of dominoes you're kind of you're laying tiles in a particular way and you can block people and you can do other things as well to disrupt other people's plans but because it's got this veneer of innocence about it and because Mm -hmm. the theme is about you know reintroducing and re you know it's conservation really at its core um that that stops it from feeling like feeling too bitter um, yeah. you, you feel and, and and it's such a really interesting dynamic it's something I never really considered before and I get a little bit of that with Quacks of Quedlingberg which has quite a similar art style which is sure. you know it's, yeah. it, it feels like um, the colours are just a little bit hypersaturated and actually that is a little bit that is quite a competitive game and it's very easy to get frustrated in a game like that but because it's got this lovely kind of childlike veneer to it mm. it, it stops it from feeling like too uh, serious um, you know if this if this was something that was say a very abstract game which is a bit like Azul which it's, it, mm-hmm. I think talking about tactility Sam a lot of Azul's popularity was due to the the tactility of those Baker-like kind of tiles in the same way the Splendor you know those those weighted chips so I think it, it's genuinely it's one of those games where I'm really I'm really glad that I I didn't just judge it um, judge the book by its cover that actually yeah. mm-hmm. it really lived up much much more to the images i saw of it and the and it is lovely the art is really lovely having it in front of you and you you just can't help but smile as you're playing it even if sam is like you know forced me to paint myself into a corner there's just <clears> something really lovely about oh just tessellating the dominoes here but it's not just numbers it's like oh actually yes of course these would go next to each other i've created this lovely little habitat of foxes here mm-hmm. of butterflies this is lovely it's definitely a game where i think your your mileage might vary but you're definitely going to i think everyone will get something out of it mm. basically i think that you know just the act of placing dominoes down and tessellating them and then sort of seeing your creation from from a sort of wider perspective is innately satisfying like that is genuinely you know a a really enjoyable part of part of a a board game experience and for some people like it will stop there but it's working on those two levels where it provides a very sort of deep experience but also you know balances as well for if that's not really what you want to do you're not going to lose out from the experience if you don't want to go too too much into the strategy and the tactics of the thing. Dan, can you give me your top five favourite castles? Ooh. My top five favourite castles? What a treat for you, Dan. What a treat I know, for you. I know what Dan's number one will be. Not, they, there's something that can be fictitious, Dan, just to open it out a little bit, but just to keep so we don't lose our audience completely who have not tuned in for Jigsaw and medieval architecture chat. Mm. And you, you think me talking about castles is the thing that's going to pull them back in? Yeah, yeah. It's a gamble, I know. Favorite castles? Come on, Dan. Okay. Everyone's got one. Everyone, every, everyone's got a list. Everyone's got one. I mean, I mean, I've got. I mean, I live next door to Warwick Castle. Okay, I, that, that's what I was going to say. First one, good castle. Warwick Castle. So, so that one has mm. to be in there. I went. I went on a school trip there. I bet you did too, Sam. Yeah. I did. I did as well. My favourite um, cast in the UK is prob- probably, definitely, um, massive soft spot for Edinburgh. Yeah. Okay. It's a banger, isn't it? It's probably like one of the most castly castles. Like it doesn't have the turrets and stuff that like Warwick does, but that's just because that's a bit of a show-off castle. Like Edinburgh on a massive hill middle of the city like when i was in Ed- edinburgh for the edinburgh festival and i was just like on my own and like chilling and i had a um one day i was sitting reading the godfather whilst eating a deep fried um rib uh barbecue rib from the chippy um you're a real renaissance man aren't you i know yeah you can really imagine like you can you can imagine like 
what kind of force like a uh, an invading force would have to exert in order to storm that castle yeah. uh, very very easy to imagine edinburgh castle operating as a castle rather than as a relic right does that right, make sense right. that makes yeah. sense yeah 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 so like top 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 castle for me wow. Good on Edinburgh. Wow, that's a, that's a strong choice. Have I have I have I kind of like fallen asleep halfway through this podcast and kind of like what why are we I don't understand why suddenly do I have to I, I, name all castles? will be revealed shortly, Dan. But just okay, go that's with all right this. then because I feel, I feel like literally I just kind of like passed out and woken up an hour later. No, 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 no. Come, on. trust me, trust me, Dan. Come, on. Uh, yeah. come on, give me a castle. Um, we'll go fictitious. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go. Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, ooh, actually, are they castles or are they towers? They're towers. Mm. Would you would you allow towers in this in this game of yours, Chris? No, sorry. Call me old fashioned. Castle Grayskull. It's a pretty banging castle. It's a banging castle. I'm gonna say Weathertop because I reckon Weathertop was a castle. And oh it's yeah, just... the old Watchtower of Amundsen is actually a tower. But yeah, we'll go. With ah, it. dang yeah. it! Are you, have you, Dan? Have you not got a soft spot for Castle Rock? Anything like that? No, I mean, again, you've thrown this on me. I don't think about castles all that much. You don't? Like any red-blooded male, you don't think about castles all the time? I know what the top fictional castle is, and this cannot be beat. Go on. Uh, it's Princess Peaches, isn't it? No, it's whichever castle the Burger King lives in. <laughs> oh wow. my god oh, I'm going to sneeze that was so funny wow what about Howl's moving castle that one move <laughs> can't pin it down can you <laughs> the guy book says it was here um, um, uh, <laughs> Minas Tirith was a castle wasn't it was that a fortification? I think it, yeah, I think it is actually. Yeah, I think it is, it is quite a castle. Yeah, I like. I like. Mm. I remember. I remember. I worked on a film set once years ago. Uh, it was Ludlow Castle. There was this. There was this film that was. It had Eddie Marsden in it. it had a, the guy who was one of the played Spud in Train Spotting in it, and it had. Mm. Oh, it had one guy in it who was in. I think Alvida's own pet, and he smoked like a chimney. Literally, when the camera stopped rolling, he was lighting up a new fag. And it was just extraordinary. Oh, God. But it, I, spent, I spent like a, a bizarre couple of days in Ludlow Castle as an extra watching. It was a film about LARPing. Didn't do very well. Never watched the film. I've got it on DVD somewhere. But um, anyway. But yeah, Ludlow, I've got a bit of a soft spot for. How about uh, Dune Castle? Dune Castle. Dune, Dune Castle, which was the castle used uh, as Winterfell in Game of Thrones. But more importantly, was the castle in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh yeah, where they sit when they when they encounter the French and they say they've already got one. Yeah, like in terms of the Holy Grail. Yeah, brilliant film. Mm. Mm. Okay, right. So um, I've always wanted to a pipe dream for me. It's like it's like top of my list as a bucket list. Really, I want to walk um, through Bavaria. I've always wanted to do it ever since I watched a documentary years ago, kind of walking through the forests of Bavaria and finding these incredible castles just nestled uh, amongst the forests there. I just always wanted to walk through it. It just felt like something incredibly magical, ethereal, and fairy tale esque. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm not able to do that at the moment. But that's that's a pipe dream. It's something I can do at some point in the future. Um, but it, it's just so weird how through serendipity, we were talking about jigsaws and stuff, and then on my doorstep, I had sent to me by Stonemaier Games um, a game that's like two years old or so old, which is Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Hmm. Now, Sam, you've played Castles of Mad King Ludwig, as have I. Yes. And we have kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, okay. It's essentially, it came out, and I think it, um, this was um, this was a game from Bézier that came out um, back in 2014 from Ted Alsbach. And basically, you design a castle. You've got these re- these different shaped tiles and you're, look, you're kind of looking top down at a castle. You've got these very thin bits of cardboard, like corridors and, and you know, living rooms and things like that and larders and stuff. And you've got to build the best castle. Yeah, it's all about like synergy and like getting yeah. the living room next to the kitchen and getting the bathroom next to the bedroom. I really liked it. There's an, app, there's an app as well. There's a video game mm. digital version. 
But like I, the the thing that always irritated me was that like a bit maybe this is the reason why I like jigsaws. It's just the pieces never ever properly connected. And like I'm a, my neighbour owns the game and I played it with him and we actually played it together with him actually Sam a while ago. Um, and he just you open the box and all the all the pieces are just in there loose yeah. and you've got to sort it and you've got to pile them up and it's got this auction mechanic and I don't tend to like auction mechanics in games anyway. But um, from what I understand, Jamie Stegmaier of Stonemaier Games, who we've spoken about already on the pod with, you know, some of the games are theirs. We like Viticulture, Wingspan, and Pendulum. He really likes Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And what piqued my interest with this game wasn't necessarily the idea of this game, you know, because I didn't really enjoy um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It was the concept that actually this is a love letter sent by um, Jamie Stegmaier and Stonemaier Games to... Bezier Games, it's a collaboration between these two games companies where they've taken a game of theirs between two cities and they've basically merged it with Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Hmm. And so what you've got here is this, this wonderful hybrid that really, really shouldn't work because I can't think of any other games where a similar premise has happened. What, where they've combined two different games together? Yeah, well, you kind of mega mix two games hmm. and you make something <laughs> new out of it. Like, I can't think of that ever happening before. So this game is came out in 2018, so it's not brand new, but we're very lucky to get kind of, you know, very, you know we've got a review copy to talk about it. So it's very nice that this, you know, through serendipity, we have this now. Um, it's basically a tile placement game like Carcassonne, mm-hmm. but you're also drafting. Um, it plays three to seven players. And three players, you're thinking, mm, three players in the current climate is quite tricky for some people to actually get to the table. Um, but there is a two-player variant, but it is a two-player variant that is having a pretend third player pretty much. Right, okay. Um, but the premise is you are a builder commissioned by this King Ludwig, who was a real-life king, um, Ludwig II of Bavaria, who built one of these castles I want to visit, which is the Schloss Neuschwarsten, um, the new Swanstone castle. And it is, like, if you think of like a stereotypical fairy tale castle, it's that one. It's got these huge elaborate turrets on it. It's basic. I think it might be the one that Disney based their castle on. It's got that Disneyland castle vibe to it, except that, it, except that it's a proper castle that people lived in and stuff. Uh, and also, as a fun fact, Ludwig II looks a little bit like Dan. No. Yep. Look him up. Google Ludwig II, Dan. Ludwig II? No, surely. Yeah, 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 yeah. The second. Oh, sh- he does. He looks like Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <gasps> Is that what you've been doing to your hair during lockdown, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just slowly becoming him. Yeah. Oh my word. I know. We can put we can throw up a side by side photo, maybe, I don't know. Oh yeah, we need to put up a little picky wick of Ludwig the Second. But but this this now and I and I actually put these the this descriptor down when I was prepping for this. I did describe it as a jigsaw and I did put an Instagram post describing it as that and I don't want to overlay the point about jigsaws but I think actually there is something in the zeitgeist at the moment between us four. Um and I I think that actually I didn't realize how much I I kind of quite wanted a game like this in my life. Um really like the last buzz I got around this from something I own was probably something like Carcassonne years ago and it's kind of what I wanted from Castles of Mad King Ludwig but didn't get so essentially um, a bit like Castles of Mad King Ludwig you've got to build a castle you've got the pieces however these aren't randomly shaped pieces they are tiles and instead of looking top down at your castle you're looking head on which is really quite cool and it means that there's no ambiguity as to how tiles slot in together because they're just square tiles like Carcassonne you know they, they kind of they, they align orthogonally with each other Here's the kind of interesting thing that is borrowed from between two cities is that um, I um, get a stack of nine tiles. Everyone does around the table. I look at them. I draw two and I I play one each into my two castles. That's right. I'm designing two castles and I'm not designing them on my own. I'm designing them with the person either side of me. So I have a castle to my right, which I design with the person to my right. And I have a castle to my left, which I design with the person to my left. So there's what happens in this is really lovely rhythm where I think, oh, this would be really lovely for our castle. I, and I don't, I, you, you don't confer with the person next to you. And then you reveal your tiles and you think, oh, cool. I'm really glad you picked that one because I, um, I've put this one. And if we put this here together, we get these kinds of bonuses, which picks up on what Sam was saying earlier about Castles of Mad King Ludwig, where it's, it's not just having the rooms down there. Placing them next to certain tiles of certain types gives you certain bonuses. And what I quite like about this game is that all those bonuses are clearly labelled on the card. 
I don't need to look them up elsewhere. It says it on each tile. So it's very quick. And I really love that conversation of turning to the person next to you going, oh, yeah, brilliant. That's lovely. This is going to be great. And then turning to the other person on my left, you know, and saying, oh, look, let's do this. Oh, brilliant. So you've got two castles on the go. You're competing with each other, but you're also working together. And you're thinking, well, hang on, that doesn't sound like you're competing with each other. Well, here's the here's something else then. That the fact is that at the end of the game, um, it's the per- you score your lowest scoring castle. That's your score. So really what you want to try and do is get both your castles up to a similar level of points. Because what you don't want to happen is that, yeah. your, you know, your, say your castle to your right, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's doing gangbusters. You've got all these bonuses you've unlocked because you've got certain numbers of a particular type and it allows you to get the tower and this scores other things. And then you've actually neglected the, the castle on your left. And the interesting thing is because you're not conferring with the people either side of you, they're also thinking the same thing. So actually, it really becomes this lovely kind of sense of Im- the competition is implicit but the collaboration is explicit and it's really quite nice and it's really relaxing because you're kind of working on a jigsaw of each other either side. And it's got that kind of cult of the new, whereas, you know, okay, oh, we finished this one. Oh, that was quick. Oh, hang on. Oh gosh, yeah, I've got this one to my left here. I can work on this. And it happens really, it goes really quickly. You do two rounds, one round where you're passing the tiles, your stack of remaining tiles to the person to your left. And then the second tile to the second round to your right. And that is it. And mm-hmm. it being Stonemeyer. Not in the kind of pendulum stone mire, but stone mire is the kind of stone mire stone mire that we kind of know. It comes with game trays. So all that thing I was saying oh, about Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Sam, where you have to like tip the box out and try and sort all the pieces into nice little stacks. Not an issue here. They're already piled in their lovely little recesses. Oh. You take the lid off. Oh. You can get it to the table like uber quick. It's just quick. really, really charming. And um, I really like it. And I wasn't expecting to. I genuinely wasn't because it sounded like a horrible car crash of an idea. Um, but it genuinely really, really works. And for me personally, I would rather play this over Castles Mad King Ludwig any, yeah. any day of the week, basically. We're bringing it back, everyone. Oh! Um, we, <laughs> we, do have, we do have a question okay. from one of our, um, our wonderful friends on Twitter. Um, my Tainted Brain, okay. um, which I always read as My Tainted Brian. Oh, could be both. Could be both. They they could be called Brian. Um, they um, they ask two questions. Okay. Your favourite genre of game, board slash computer. Mm-hmm. Is that the two questions? Well, no, I'll give the second oh, okay. question later. Favourite genre of... Okay. <clears throat> board slash video. You can choose. Okay. You can choose. Oh, that's a Ooh. tricky one. Um, I think video games, I've come to the realisation that though I would like to say something smart and intelligent and wonderful, it's probably racing games. Um, it's probably arcade racing games. Sure. There are very few racing games I, w- I would not play. Like, they're always sort of enjoyable. You always kind of know what you're going to get. And some of the some of the best ones are some of my favourite games in the world. So I think racing games. Yeah, sure. I can, I can get Good. that. All right. I'm glad you agree, Sam. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, mate. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad that could be my favourite. Yeah, I can understand where you come from. I think for me, video games, third-person action adventure—that's that's my bag. That's same for me. That genre makes the best seven out of ten games, like yeah. um, Stranglehold and Wheelman. 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 Um, yeah, I think for Very me great. as well, those kind of games always um, allow for kind of narrative-driven games much more. Um, yeah. And there, that's 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 my bag, um, and so like as I've talked about a billion times, the likes of Uncharted, the likes of Last of Us, the likes of God of War, all those games, just the the, the nature of the game, the action adventure allows for the action to combat, but the adventure allows for exploration, and then allows the narrative to breathe, and especially when they're done well, something like God of War perfect mm. something like last of us perfect where you do have those quiet moments where you can just explore the characters it's just that's 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 all i now that's all i look for in a game i'll play lots of different types of games don't get me wrong but if a really good action adventure comes along with a good narrative i'm all over it mm. yeah I, I i chime with that i think to a degree like i really do like those kinds of experiences um but i i 
a genre for me that I really, really love is the walking simulator, which is lo- oh, got like a lot of bad press. I mean, there's issues with just that name, let's be honest. But mm. that idea of... <laughs> Only to you. <laughs> well, for a lot of people, actually. Like, if you look at All Rock, right. Paper, Shotgun, Sorry. they've written quite a lot about this kind of stuff. But, like, um, I like that kind of first-person kind of environmental storytelling game where you're not carrying a gun in your hand. Yes, there, there, yes there, there's a lot of cliches surrounding them now. It's the same old thing where you're walking around... An event has happened and you're trying to piece that together yourself, the kind of Bioshocky kind of thing. Mm. But games like Dear Esther, um, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which is my favourite game of all time. Firewatch was fantastic. Yeah, Firewatch, you know, um, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Um, these kinds of titles I just love. Um, mm. And just for me as somebody who who kind of teaches performance and that kind of that type of immersive performance as well, like that's that that's the kind of a language that really speaks to me video game wise all right second question what is the last book you read that you enjoyed i haven't read a book in a while it would either be it would either be the seven deaths or seven and a half deaths depending on what country you're in of evelyn hardcastle which is a book where essentially the main character's caught in a time loop and um, they have seven different, they can inhabit seven different bodies in order to solve a murder mystery. So they have one day to solve the mystery, but they'll be seeing this mystery from the point of view of seven different bodies. And using that knowledge and, and being stuck in that time loop, they've got that time to like, and those different points of view to try and solve solve this mystery. That was That was a staggering piece of work. Mm. And like Seven Eves was a really excellent piece of hard sci-fi about what would happen if the moon suddenly exploded. Um, That's stunning. But I think the book and the book series that I have really enjoyed and hasn't really been beaten in quite a long time is the three-body problem. So the three-body problem, the dark forest, and death's end. Um, Those three books. (laughs) Yeah are just probably the best hard sci-fi that I've read in a long time and just a really compelling and interesting examination of culture and man and existence and all those wonderful, lovely things that sci-fi loves to explore. It's incredible. Um, I have a few. Uh, It's going to sound really dry. It sort of is, but it's also quite exciting. Uh, uh, (laughs) So there's uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. It's a... um, uh, It's an absolutely seminal work about how work gets done uh, in modern technology businesses. Um, Very, very interesting. Uh, And also The Secrets of Master Brewers by Jeff Allworth, uh, which is literally about um, how some of the most famous beer styles in the world get brewed and why they're interesting and why they're different. Um, and it is genuinely Sweet. fascinating. It's all about the terroir, basically. The, but the really exciting one, the most exciting thing that I've read recently is a fantastic uh, collection called Ghost Stories of an Antiquary by M.R. James. Oh, I've read those. I read them every Christmas, Pete. Is this the call was coming from inside the house, Ghost Stories? No. no. It's, it's what M.R. James calls a pleasing terror. That's what he could yeah. describes this type of ghost story. Oh, okay. He so he writes stories that are he never really explains all that much about what the horror is and what it was. Um, mm. It just happens, and then uh, to people who are kind of just normal, um, and they experience it. And then a lot of the time they can't really explain what it is. They don't really understand or interpret what it is that's that's happened to them. And then they, then he just kind of leaves them with the scene, and you kind of come away from it like, oh my god, like it's horror. It's Silent Hill two horror. It's not Resident Evil horror. Cool. And what jigsaw did you complete listening to that? Uh, I completed the ramen shop. Uh, I mean, you've all got had like uh, much more um, intellectual. Uh, books that you've been reading. Not to say that mine isn't uh, an enjoyable book. Uh, I don't think you'd find it in the same areas as the books you've been reading. Uh, my book, uh, the last one I read, it was called uh, Dummy. Um, it's a parenting book. Okay. Uh, parenting, not in the sense of this is how you do parenting. Um, it's a book written by um, a gentleman called Matt Coyne, 
Um, he was a writer who, uh, after the birth of his son, did a kind of a, a funny kind of Facebook post, which kind of went viral. He kind of launched a blog, which went viral. It's really funny, just talking like uh, in very plain terms about kind of his first book is called Dummy. It's all about kind of looking after a new baby and all the chaos that goes with that. He does have a second book, uh, which I also have. I haven't read that one yet, which is uh, Man versus Toddler. Um, his kind of Instagram account, which is kind of huge, is called Man vs Baby, um, and so that's that's what I mean. That's that's kind of just like a really light but really funny. I've literally been kind of laughing out loud whilst reading uh, the book um, because it's just it's genuinely just really really funny um, and very kind of uh, true to experiences that I have had. So it's it's always great when you can. With so with obviously the specific type of book when you can see your own experiences very kind of humorously and eloquently put down on paper and you can absolutely relate to it so that's that's there but yeah that's the most recent book I've 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 been reading I don't I don't read an awful lot I need to read more I have loads of books that I have bought and just not read. Um, so uh, I have recently completed. I tend to have two books on the go. One tends to be a fiction book. Mm-hmm. The other one tends to be like a factual book. Um, so I recently finished a Robert McFarlane's book Underland which he spent 10 years writing and I'd read his book I read two of his previous books which was Mountains of the Mind which is why human beings have fascinations with climbing up mountains and conquering mountains and where does that come from um, this one is called Underland it's about humanity's fascination with what's underneath our feet underground everything from kind of burials to kind of potholing this kind of stuff and like there was one section in it which talks about um, this incident in the 50s in the Peak District of somebody going caving and I genuinely felt anxious about it. And I've done some potholing and caving and stuff before, but a long time ago. But like to get that from a book was extraordinary. But I remember hearing things about like in the Sami culture, there's this, there's this view that the, the, um, the world of the dead is the world that exists beneath our feet. Hmm. So every step you take, the dead are kind of stepping where, you know, mirroring that underneath yeah, you. A yeah, bit yeah. like, um, remind me of something like uh, The Moose Man. Hmm. Um, so that's a really cool book. Mm-hmm. Great questions, yeah. And actually, like, listen to all your recommendations there. Um, that's been quite lovely to have this conversation. We don't often talk together about recommending each other books, do we generally, like, other than for the pod? The thing about recommending books, and here's the problem, they take a really long time. And there's there's so many books out there yeah, and like as soon as somebody says, "Oh, this is a brilliant book," oh, I'll lend it to you. I'm always like, "Nah, mm. nah, I'll be all right. I'll be all right." I I find that like books are. Um, Lisa wanted some books for for Christmas, and I spent absolutely ages and ages and ages trying to find books for her because you know, it's. I feel like buying a book for someone is a very incredibly personal thing because you're saying to someone, "I think you're going to enjoy this for the next." six or seven hours you're going to dedicate time to 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 reading this thing and hopefully like enjoying it such it feels like a lot more of a commitment than you know buying someone a computer game or a video game or or a or a board game like there is a there is more of a sense of you are taking up someone's time mm. than 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 kind of any of those other kind of mediums I feel like it's kind of similar in terms of present giving as buying somebody a piece of furniture yeah. or a piece of like 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 a vase. That is such a like personal thing where you're like, "Oh, that's going to take up a bit of my space," or like, "This is going to take up quite a lot of my head, like capacity." A vase, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, I just imagine you, Pete. If we bought you a vase for your birthday, you just you, you think, oh god, I've got to, how long have I got to look at this thing for? You just literally just focus on it. Yeah, just how do I, when do I stop? How do I know I've completed yeah. the vase? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when do I stop farting? <laughs> Whoa! What an episode! There was board games, re-nature, between two castles, of Mad King Ludwig. There was video games, day life in Japan, and there was books as well. Seven Eves, and that one Chris spoke about. But there was also castles. Oh, I don't think we've ever had such a jam-packed show covering lots of weird things from board games to medieval architecture. But that's kind of how we do things here. Daniel Frost, Chris Darby, Peter Winnington, and me, 
Sam Turner. If, like the tainted brain, you would like to send us a question, then you can do so at Staying in Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Staying in Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to get a little bit formal and send us an email, then please do. If you've missed one of our recommendations uh, or would like to see some of the stuff we've recommended in the past, then it's very easy to do. For video games, we've got a curation page on Steam and we've also got a curated page on Board Game Geek where we list all the games that we've ever spoken about, video slash board, and links to the episode of the podcast that they featured on. So then you can go to stayinginpodcast.com and hear what we have to say. But that's it for now. Continue to stay safe, be nice to one another, and until next time, from everyone at Staying In, bye-bye.